So the question is asking, is it better to consider the mind as being in the body or the body as being in the mind? Um, I don't think you need to consider either of those really. Um, just notice what's occurring. So if you, isn't it the case that what you occur, what occurs is certain bodily feelings occur and sometimes thoughts occur and uh, perceptions occur and emotions occur and they rise and pass and change. So um, what happens is we call that not so much body and mind but bodily qualities arise or material qualities arise and non-material qualities arise and pass and we say they rise and pass within awareness awareness um, you're aware of it so there's chitta and so chitta is aware sometimes as bodily qualities sometimes as mental perceptions, emotions, thoughts. So, sometimes I experience jitter as a faint voice coming from my heart and my thinking mind as a loud voice coming from everywhere else. I feel lucky to make that distinction, but do you have any guidance for bringing the voices together? So, um, bringing the voices together, I don't quite understand what you want to do. You could ask your thinking mind, how does it feel to be thinking? And that will give you a heart experience, give you a chitter experience. What you call the voice or the experience of chitta is often um, it's quiet. It's often very simple, right? busy, um, flustered, agitated. Whereas a voice from the thinking mind is often long. I've got so many things to do today, and I don't understand what I'm supposed to do next. So you know, best to try to translate the thinking mind into the felt chitta experience. Because then you've got something you can you can actually deal with and um, steady and uh, practice with. With thinking mind, you either follow it or suppress it. You can turn it. It's called yonisomanisikara, deep attention. What does the thinking mind feel like? Sometimes personal experience is something called a mind storm. The mind becomes very confused, compulsive thoughts, emotions such as grief arise, I feel miserable. I don't understand why this happens. How to proceed? What's the most skillful way to deal with it? Mindfulness, metta and patience, but there's no kind of progress with the phenomenon in the sense it still comes back in the same way again and again. I don't think you really are practicing metta and patience because if you were patient you wouldn't mind if it came back again. It's just so what? You want it to stop really don't you? And I don't blame you. 
um, wanting it to stop, but that doesn't make it stop. So try to feel what's happening in terms of your bodily energy. If you're sighted, stressed, overwhelmed, flooded, what's really happening, and then steady yourself, focus on your feet, standing, spread your awareness over your whole body as you stand, open your eyes, don't get lost in your head, open your eyes, keep your eyes open, take a few breaths, how's that? So you need a reference point that's steady and stable, that's what's needed. These other things, mindfulness, metta and patience are just ideas. Um, they're good ideas, but the reality of the matter is you need a body to stand or walk or sit. Probably standing or walking is best and feel the body, then it acts. You've got a stable reference that helps stable reference. Uh, from there you can, okay, it's like this, mindfully notice what's going on and relate to it with a heart of non-resistance and non-demanding. Don't demand it go away. Don't fight it. Don't resist it. Don't adopt it. It's now. That's what I would recommend. How to apply the teachings to address sleeplessness, especially when accompanied with anxiety, panic and negative thoughts. Is cultivating presence easier during the daytime than in the middle of the night? Well, it doesn't really matter what time it is in terms of the clock so much as where your energy is so if your body energy is rather depleted which does happen generally when one's sleeping for example the energy goes down then it's best to get up sit up and uh, use things like a mantra reciting words just to generate a steady body energy and steady heart energy and even steady verbal energy mantra so listening to the sound of the mantra listening to the humming chanting humming and feeling your body moving around slowly that gives you something soothing and steady to refer to um, if you under, if you um, find that your thinking mind is actually creating problems such as worrying about why I should do this or why I should do that um, it's running away it needs to be tethered to the body that's the whole point a mindfulness of body to connect the thinking mind to tie it down now you know certainly you are experiencing your body but if you panic it's probably your upper chest you're experiencing uh, strongly so you need to go to your back back and feet and simple repeated movement so you've got something steady and repeated to refer to
How can I ensure the qualities are not coming from a place of self-centeredness or cravings? For example, the quality of love. I may be too attached with having people to love, wanting people to, having people to love and to be recognised. Well, this isn't meta. This is this is not. Just do something different. So it's just the problem is you know use a word like love as I said, why we tend to be cautious about using it, because it gets so distorted, and so the word love often means a kind of attachment to someone or something. But uh, love is the ability to just be present. Steady, present, open the heart without restriction. Uh, so it means somebody's present, you open the heart without restriction. Somebody's absent, you open the heart without restriction. Now what are you looking for? Maybe you're looking for the kind of energies that happen in interaction. Oh, it's great. When she's around, I get a lot of enthusiasm and fun and warmth happening because I enjoy her company. This is really nice. Yes, maybe it is so. But um, then, you know, you should let such qualities become the main thing. Because that changes, doesn't it? The main thing is to be open and sympathetic and respectful. And then warmth naturally arises. You know, so you can't suddenly decide to love someone it happens you get romance which is a kind of projection of fantasy or wish fulfillment onto someone else the love is something finding your own presence feeling comfortable in your own presence presence of your body space around you may i be well may i be well may I accept my limitations may i don't be loving towards my heart and mind yeah. and that's so then similarly presence of another person may they be well may we be comfortable with each other and you've got to stay attentive to that then this is the kind of qualities that keep the heart warm comfortable but you don't get the sorrow and the agitation of of change because you keep that practice going whether you're with someone or not, it's much more, it's not so so exciting, but it's steadier, and eventually more, more livable. Someone notices fear coming up because they have some surgery that's going to happen, so it is part of it. I notice it and accept it, but remains uncomfortable. Um, yeah, what is my advice? Well, what does it need? What does, what does fear need? Fear needs security. Where is security? Standing body. So realize when you focus on the whole, with fear you focus on that which is fearful. Fear is about what isn't happening. It's about what could happen. Focus on what is happening. 
uncertainty is happening. It's always happening. There's always uncertainty. Right? Accept the uncertainty. Stabilize body, breathing in, breathing out. Uncertainties like this. We don't have to make things certain because once you acknowledge uncertainty, that which can acknowledge uncertainty, that's a sure thing because things are always uncertain. You have to train, get used to it, uncertainty. What is it that knows things are uncertain? That is certain. Certainly the truth that things are uncertain. Can you witness it? Can you find support in that? Just breathing in, breathing out. The future is the unknown. This takes training. So eventually your, your emotional taste changes to presence, awareness. In Buddhism, we often hear the saying, mind over body. Mind is more important than body, or mind is the precedent over body. But I've seen senior Dharma practitioners with suffering from chronic illness and physical pain lose the balance of mind and start taking refuge in the sense world to anaesthetize the torment. So, in other words, body seems to overcome the mind. How to prepare ourselves to face chronic conditions of, say, illness, physical pain. Well, as I said before, it's not the case of body and mind because there's no real body. There are, there are visual experiences that we call a body and there are felt experiences that we call a body. But actually what, what occurs is rupa, fe uh, feeling of form, and it's constantly changing. So there's heat, pressure, this is rupa, form, it's heat, warmth, there's pressure, pushing, which is called air, there's firmness, resilience, earth, there's cohesion, which is water. So this is elements, and it's constantly changing. So at any given moment, you can notice there's a sense of the firmness in the back or the legs or the feet. Something moving, pressing, which is the breathing, certain warmth of vitality, and the fact that it all operates together. That's water, it's cohesive. That's what's happening. Now you also have feeling, which is the real problem. Problem isn't body, problem is feeling. And so, you know, that's the problem. Um, and if one has not understood, deeply understood what body is as a procession of material qualities, then we often are not able to manage feeling. And feeling is not body, it's not mind, it's feeling. So you focus on feeling. 
feeling pushes, feeling pulls, feeling spins around? Can we create some space around feeling rather than resisting it, fighting it, hating it, tensing up about it, enjoying it, indulging in it? Feeling is feeling, doing what feeling does. And that. And then there's the awareness around feeling. There's emotional agitation, calming emotional agitation, deepening your sense of awareness of the feeling, going into the presence and awareness of feeling, steadying your energy in your body, agitation, by extending your awareness through the whole body, down to the feet, to the space around you, make it wide, wide, wide. So you're also picking up feeling from other parts of your body or your experience or even your mind that are not about the uncomfortable feeling. So you can, particularly when you come into um, say mental sphere, we can recognize this patience or impatience aversion, acceptance, steadiness, serenity or agitation and fear. And to just choose, give attention, give more attention to the qualities that are supportive. Patience. Qualities in the body that are supportive. Moving. Qualities in the heart that are supportive, gratitude, compassion, recognition that everyone has unpleasant feeling, not just me. It's like this. Pleasant feelings like this, it does this. Unpleasant feelings like this, it does this. And there's awareness of it. That's the guidelines. And of course, you know, we can say it as guidelines, but, you know, one has to train and practice with it because this is exactly what happens. We haven't done the practice, you know, before it becomes too difficult, then it's like you haven't, you haven't prepared yourself. So you need to prepare yourself by relating to unpleasant feeling. And cultivating as we've done even when it's not that unpleasant it's just not what we like but okay and so we, this is kind of constant practice because it's that all, all things are felt and that means at least a good amount will be unpleasant You may not notice it because we're distracted or covering it. But, you know, if you ask yourself, do you want to stay with this or not? You think, well, no, it'd be nice when this goes. I, I can manage it, but I'll be happier when it goes away. Stay with it. Relax. It's the feeling, it's this.
practice, relationship, compassion. Practice it a lot. Reflect on the suffering of others. Practice it a lot. So it makes the heart strong. You mentioned that meditation is not the only way to practice. Can you suggestions on how to use everything as practice? Well, right speech is powerful practice, very powerful practice, because it does help to train the mind, just not to be babbling, thinking incessantly, and thinking things that are not useful or worrying or so forth. Practice careful speech. Does definitely is good practice. Right livelihood is good practice. Meaning to feel what we're doing, we feel we can find enjoyment in, even if it's not particularly pleasant experience. We say, okay, I'm doing this as best I can so that others will benefit, or so that um, to make me more patient. It's a boring job, but I'll do it in order to cultivate patience, then at least you're waking up to what you're doing and practicing with with feeling. So anything that inclines towards wakeful response to your body, to your thinking, to the people around you, we call this practice of awakening because you're being more wakeful rather than automatic and half asleep in what you do. mentions we are supposed to practice meditation with the aim of attaining jhanas if so can Lumpur guide us how to meditate to enter the jhanas <laughs> well you could look at what the Buddha says and um, but I'll be careful of things like supposed to because immediately you say things like that and attaining jhanas are supposed to attain the jhanas you put your mind in a particular state which is not supportive because jhana involves lingering taking your time not want to get to the next thing it's about clearing hindrances you clear hindrances, then the mind begins to settle more steadily. So essentially it's a renunciation practice. You clear the hindrances, ill will, greed, dullness and sloth, restlessness, agitation and doubt. So this means you have to practice a lot of sati uh, to keep acknowledging these qualities and get skills of how to deal with these hindering qualities when they arise first thought as not self because if you see things as self it makes the whole thing very difficult see it as not self so just hindrances are just hindrances what do they feel like what do they do and how do you compensate for them how do you work against them you quiet the thinking mind you restrain the uh, restless mind, you steady in the body, you enjoy 
breathing in and breathing out, or your whatever your meditation topic is. So sense desire calms down because you're getting some good feeling. Your will dies down because there's nothing bothering you. If you're deeply secluded in your own embodiment. And then the aim is to just really linger and enjoy it. Uh, let, let that quality be felt properly. And so that's a kind of receptive rather than straining to become something or have something, you just receive the qualities of what's left when the ill will, greed, restlessness, craving, tension and so forth dissolve. Now, if you have a mindset that says, I want to, um, you know, get some jhanas, that's already a slightly tense mindset. And you, you maybe you get something because there's different kinds of jhanas. And you can force yourself into some concentrated state. And the Buddha does say there's such a thing as wrong jhanas. You know? wrong jhanas, there's wrong mindfulness, there's wrong samadhi. So wrong samadhi definitely is a concentrated experience, which just happens to be the, the wrong kind of concentration, which doesn't give rise to qualities of wisdom. And so this is what people sometimes say, that if you have jhana, you can't do insight. You know, if you have jhana, you can't develop wisdom. Well, why did the Buddha teach it? If you can't get any wisdom out of it, it's pointless, isn't it? But wrong jhana, you can't. But right jhana, absorbing, steadying, you're contemplating feelings like this. It's peaceful, it's quiet. Why don't I just let go of that? Why don't I just linger more fully in this? Notice this arise, conditioned. What causes it? What causes it to cease? Steadying. And getting more simple. This is a process. It's not a technique, it's a process. You can use techniques, but I don't teach them. Since the Buddha didn't teach them, I don't teach them. Um, and I don't even crave jhanas. But certainly, if the hindrances disappear, when they disappear, and when you're really present, it's worth appreciating it. Because it strengthens, fortifies, nourishes the heart, gives you confidence. And um, it's arisen through skillful states. You learn a lot through how to abandon hindrances and how to linger and enjoy and widen and spread the qualities through your body. This is the right kind of jhana in my view, and you can check it out in the suttas. So person talks about practicing mindfulness of breathing, and also practicing the Brahma-vihara, that's metta, kindness, compassion, uh, glad appreciation, and equanimity. Not by using phrases, but just radiating the energies. And this gave me the feeling of piti, which means rapture or refreshment. And so knowing this sense of piti, this, I went into it. I went with it and dropped into a very quiet place of silence, emptiness, and enjoyed abiding, abiding in that place. So I've done this a few times now. It reminds me of Zen practice. Um, 
my question is, this seems new, but it could be very useful. Mindfulness of breathing might be better for gaining insights into body, heart, mind, and three characteristics. Yeah, well, you know, heart energy, body energy, they both arrive at PT if they're cultivating skillfully. Uh, the nature of heart energy, if it's cultivated skillfully, is it becomes steady and suffusive. Using words or phrases isn't going to necessarily produce it because the heart words and phrases are not that energetic quality, they're just ideas, you see. They're not heart energy, they're mental energy. They're thinking energy. They're not bad thoughts, but they're thinking. That's a different energy than heart energy. Heart energy is that suffusive quality that you feel generally occurs around your chest and rushes up, moves through your face. Heart energy is an expansive opening quality. Now, mental energy is generally going to occur around your head and it's fairly brisk um, and different energy altogether. Now, I mean, the phrases are not, they're not bad, but if they work, they're there to perhaps remind the heart. But you can use an image, such as something you feel compassion for, straight, or something you feel appreciation, warm-heartedness with yourself or others, or, or particularly something that somebody did. Because people sometimes, they you like it, sometimes you don't like it. So you focus on an aspect of something that was supportive and encouraging. Oh, yes, and remember it again and again and again. To meditate means to remember again and again and again till it becomes established. That establishment is called samadhi, or jhana, if you like. Sati is remembering, bringing it back again, again, linger in it, feed it out. Work on it, steady it, sense it, hold it carefully, return again, bring it there, steady it. And so this may not be that much. You don't have to do that much. You might have to do it two or three times. Maybe that's enough. Sometimes you need to stop getting too frenzied. Go slowly, try again. How does it really feel? Until your chitta, your heart gets it. And when it does, you get a quality, suffusive quality called piti. This is very much the same as the suffusive quality you get if you're doing mindfulness of breathing and instead of focusing on sensation you focus on the energy. Breathing in is a subtly brightening, freshening energy. Breathing out is a cooling, relaxing energy. And these energies flow naturally from one to the other. You don't have to do anything. They do it for you but you're not used to listening to it. So you've got to be mindful. You just keep returning to it. What's the end of the out-breath like? How does the in-breath happen? Yeah. And get comfortable with that process. Pick it up, listen to it. Because it's like changing gear. It's a different gear. You normally operate very much in the world of sense contact. This is a different gear, so it takes time to pick it up. But when you get it, oh, oh, it's lovely. I don't have to do anything. It's 
it's actually not moving around a lot. It's quite steady, slightly, slightly expands, subsides, radiates, steadies. The energy becomes more steady, subtly flexing. And as you get with that, it begins to you feel it suffusing a little bit, then more. Get into it, the more it suffuses. At a certain point, it becomes comfortable and it eases, and then things become quite quiet. So that's what energy does if you stay with it. You don't excite it and you don't repress it and you clean off staleness. That's what it does. It comes to a steady state if you're spacious, mindful, non-aggressive, non-distracted. It steadies. So then, you know, you can notice because it's steady, your mind, your awareness can also just, oh, that's that. You don't have to deal with anything, then you can contemplate. Where's body now? What's the body? What body? Oh, it's just this material qualities shifting. What's the mind now? It's just sense of knowing, responding, feeling happy. It's an emotional sense. Where's the self? There's no self in any of this. And maybe the crucial bit helps us to get a handle on the hindrances. Here's the sense of not self. Now, when things are going rather pleasantly, a little bit of clinging can come in. I don't want to be a hindered self, but I'd like to be an unhindered self. It would be very nice. Can I have this? <laughs> no. No, 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 don't do that. Just relax, trust it, let it happen. And, uh, and you can see then the grasping, which is the thing you really want to know about grasping and then relax that that's the main thing is dispassion you see you're not particularly trying to witness any particular phenomenon especially except find a base in phenomena that are steady and comfortable easeful so that your heart becomes dispassionate lets things change and stops its restless pushing and driving and wanting and not wanting. Cessation, dispassion, cessation, unbinding, nibbana. That's the process of insight. So is there such a thing as a self or no self? Well, if there's no self, who could inherit the karmic residues from past life? Well, there's some such thing as chitta, which I think I've been talking about quite a lot. But it's not uh, not an identity. It's not a fixed thing. It's a it's a flowing process that flows on, and it assembles these aggregates the way it manifests in order to manage the experience of being associated with sense form, sense contact, sensory world, or any kind of created existence, is experiences, experience perceptions, consciousness, feeling, candors. But they're constantly shifting and changing. 
So there's no self in the kandhas because it's constantly shifting and changing. There's no self outside the kandhas because what would that be? What kind of entity would that be? But there is a chitta released from the aggregates. So oh, that's it. That must be my true self. Well, how is it you? What, what makes it you? What's the you-ness of it? Where does it begin? Where does it end? Who does it belong to? What's its name? None of those bear up, but there's awareness. So there's no self to get rid of, but there's a habit of attaching that we need to relax, attaching. So self is not an entity, it's a habit that you can you can break the habit. Discernment versus judgment. So the Eightfold Path is often translated as right, implying that there is a wrong. Is there a wrong? For example, the destruction of the earth. You have to realise the Buddha didn't speak English and didn't come from a particular moralistic mindset of, of judgment. It's not judgmental in, in a kind of condemning way. It's discerning, I mean, this is left and that's right and this is green and that's black and this takes you that way and this takes you that way. There's not the moral condemnation going on, you see. So, if you, you know, if you contemplate deities that appear in Buddhism, there are divine realms in Buddhism, they're different kinds of happiness. And there's gods, they just really like happiness. And um, they say, oh, this Buddha Dharma stuff, when you listen to that, it makes you feel so good. We want we want more of it because it makes us feel so good. <laughs> you know, it makes us feel clean and happy and bright and positive. So we really like the Buddha Dharma. This is the gods, you see. Whereas it, you know, you come from a monotheistic religion. God is always not very happy, <laughs> condemning people, throwing people into hell, <laughs> judging and blaming. <laughs> And that's the supreme deity does this. The supreme deity judges and condemns, <laughs> which is not a great role model, is it? <laughs> so <laughs> the ultimate truth in Buddhism doesn't judge, it doesn't condemn. It just, is it this? <laughs> it's this. And the Buddha is saying, well, there's good ways to do this. The good ways to get to that place that I'd recommend, good ways to do it. We call this the Samma way. Samma means complete, fulfilled, wholesome, includes it all, balanced, true, straight, right. If you like, you want to use the right, right, then it's right. It means it goes in the direction that takes you to this cool, open, steady place. And the other stuff takes you to tangled you know, which we call confused, misjudged, uh, misadjusted, off-centered, wrong, if you like. But it's not a moral judgment. It's just telling the truth about where these energies go. Some energies take you to a bright place and some take you to a dark, confused, tangled place. You can call it right and wrong, if you like. But this is just telling the truth. Some are, some are mitya. You don't like right and wrong. As words, use samma and use micha. Micha means, translate that as wrong. See, yeah, we'd say the destruction of the earth is <laughs> ill-advised, 
not for everyone's welfare, um, not leading to good results, um, causing suffering for others. Well, it's kind of pretty much like wrong to me. <laughs> Are you wrong? <laughs> if you have a bad thought, you're a wrong person. If you have a malicious thought, are you a wrong person? No, you're not a wrong person. But that thought, you know, is going to cause you problems if you don't deal with it. Don't follow that one. But if you start feeling, oh, I'm such a bad person, I'm a terrible person, I have a wrong thought. No, that's, that's not practice. That's not practice. That's not letting go of anything. So these are things to refrain from. And the Buddha is just telling the truth about what's to be followed and what not to be followed. Okay, well, of course, there's always more questions and things we can talk about. Um, and we're living in a world of time, which is running out. So for this particular occasion, we'll just have to continue questions and explorations another time or with another person. Uh, that's what we can do for now. Yeah.